is the enemy at your gate? As you think about your life, who are the enemies at your gate? We don't often give a lot of thought to that or uh, pretend like maybe we don't have enemies. Uh, but I do think there are times that there are people or groups of people, individuals uh, who are standing outside our gate and we feel the pressure of them there. This passage that was read this morning um, so beautifully up here is a pretty uh, peaceful, uh, kind passage, right? This picture of the, the hunter and the prey lying down together, peacefully living together. And what's interesting to me is the context, like Jordan alluded to earlier, of that particular passage is the enemy is at the gate. The people uh, of God know that there is an enemy outside who is ready to wreak havoc. The tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah have a contentious relationship at best. And there's always this question if somebody's going to try to reunite the kingdom forcefully. The nations that surround uh, Israel and Judah are always jockeying for position and for more power. Assyria is becoming one of the biggest nations and most powerful nations the world has ever known. And they're slowly making their way towards the Mediterranean towards the people of Israel and Judah. And it's in that context that we get Isaiah's prophecy. The enemy is right at the gate. And while this particular passage is kind of a passage of hope, Isaiah has been going at the Israelites pretty heavily. And, one of the, and two of the things that he constantly talks about is the fact that they have lost their sense of justice and righteousness, that they are not being people of justice and righteousness. And as I read that over and over and over again through, uh, Isaiah, through Isaiah's sermons, I thought, how did they get there? How did they get to this place where they have lost justice and righteousness? There wasn't a generation that just woke up one morning and said, you know what, justice and righteousness is overrated. Let's throw that out. Think about the history of the people of Israel for just a second. You go back to the beginning, to the time of Abraham, where Abraham is called by God to go to a land that God will show him. He doesn't tell him where it is. He just said, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you how to get there. You just start going so that you will have descendants and you'll be a great nation in this promised land. And from there, you will be a light to all the rest of the nations. This is the beginning of the people that we're talking about. So Abraham trusted God, left his home without knowing where he was going, and ended up on the edge of this land with the beginning of some descendants. Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, is, is 
trusts God even though he is enslaved, he is wrongly accused and put in prison, continues to trust and follow God and finds himself eventually as a chief advisor to the most powerful person in the world. And through trust in God, saves his people through a worldwide famine that was wiping out entire groups of people. Moses, by trusting God, returns to Egypt and speaks truth to the Pharaoh, asking for his people to be set free. And God delivers the people. They roam around in the wilderness for 40 years, trusting God every day for their provisions. And they end up on the edge of this promised land. God continues to keep his promises. Joshua, the judges, David, enter the promised land and God continues to give them more and more territory in that land. And through trust and faith in God, they inherit the land that was promised so long ago to their ancestor Abraham. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, And I wonder if that's the point where things started to change. Almost immediately, it seems like. David's rule comes to an end. His son Solomon takes over and the kingdom begins to flourish. They become a world power. They're wealthy. They're connected. They have influence. And from the time of Solomon's sons forward, It's almost as if they had gone from inheriting a land of promise to protecting a land that they possess. There's a a massive shift in the way they approach God, in the way they worship, in the way they treat the people around them because their perspective has changed from, from a place of trusting and following God to the place of promise to instead turning and protecting a possession. And over time, they lost sight of justice and righteousness. Because when we turn to protect those things that we think someone else is going to take, oftentimes we start to build walls, gates, We build these fortresses to keep the people, the small circle of people that we start to trust in and everyone else out. And so in an effort to protect what's theirs, it seems that the people of God lost sight of justice and righteousness. And it's right in the middle of that scenario that you hear Isaiah prophesy this, in that day, in that day when the stump of David's family, that shoot of Jesse that Jordan talked about a few minutes ago, in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. 
The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them all. Do you hear the picture that's being painted? You've got predators and prey living together. And as I was contemplating that passage, I thought so often when we're trying to protect those things that we're afraid someone else is going to take, we can often prey on each other, treat each other as animals in the wild. We prey on those who have less in order to further ourselves. But Isaiah here paints a picture of the day of the kingdom of God where the prey and the predator live together. There's no longer any fear no longer any danger. And I wonder, so I was thinking about that, I can't help but to look around our culture, our world, our churches, And what I see so often are people driven by fear of losing what they have. People who are building gates to keep people out because of a fear of losing what we have. We've developed so many little kingdoms that we try to maintain. Republicans and Democrats, progressives and evangelicals, pro-choice, pro-life, Baptists, Wesleyans, Presbyterians, Catholics, And in some sort of fearful effort to protect that space, whatever it is, we build gates, walls, barriers. Because we want to protect what's ours. So I was thinking about how Isaiah talks about that day. That day that was prophesied so long ago. When the offspring of David will raise the banner. And did you catch it? It's not just the chosen people. It's the nations begin to gather in that holy city. In Isaiah 56, Isaiah even makes a point to point out that the foreigners and the eunuchs will walk into that holy city and they'll wonder if I have anything to give here. Do I belong here? Isaiah says, never turn away who I have called. The people who are living for me. 
And I was thinking about that day. I was thinking about that day when the offspring of David raises the banner and I walk into that holy city. And I wondered if I'd look to my right and to my left and I would see people that surprised me. I would look to my right and my left and I would say, what? How, how did they get here? And I hope on that day that that is true. I hope that the people that I wonder, I hope that I am wrong and that I can throw my arms around them and say, I am so glad you are in the kingdom of God. Because I think there are times in our lives when, I'll say it this way, I think there are some people that we experience in life that we've built walls to keep out, that if we enter that holy city one day and we look to the right and our left and we see them there, it might make us mad. But then something else struck me. It hit me that I made the assumption that I'd be walking into the holy city. Well, that's obvious. To me, at least. Maybe not you. But I, I was walking. Sure, of course I'm walking into the holy city. And you know what? I'm only walking in because of the grace and love and kindness and mercy of God. There's absolutely nothing that I've done on my own that allows me to respond to the banner and to walk into that holy city. And I wonder if our, our need to keep people out is rooted in our lack of trust in God. I can't seem to trust God to bring whom he chooses into the holy city. Do I have enough trust in God that I can tear down my walls, my gates that keep people out? Because I'll let God sort out who belongs. That's not my job. I am not the gatekeeper to the holy city. I'm just glad to be walking in. Friends, who are the enemy at your gate? Who are those people or groups of people that you've built up walls to keep out of your precious spaces. I was telling Steve earlier this week that whenever I preach, I always have a hard time setting it up because I always want to jump to, oh, well, here's the conclusion. What do we do with it? 
It's just the practical nature of me. And I'll be honest, I got to this, this spot and I thought, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to tell you. I wish I had five easy steps of how to tear down your walls and live trusting God. Live in complete love of all people, trusting God to sort it out. I wish I could tell you what to do. Because when you get in actual conversations and actual decisions, it gets incredibly complicated. But I do know this. I know that we are called to be the people of God, a light to the nations. And light has a hard time getting over and through walls and gates.